Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello everyone and welcome to the 150th episode of Word Processing. Not counting cover to cover series, but just like 150 episodes in. Who knew we had that much to talk about? <laughs> I still don't believe that we do, but I mean, thankfully God's word is what we're talking about. It's not our idea. It's not our thoughts and concepts. Inexhaustible. But inexhaustible. But three over three years now we've been at this and it's just incredible to be able to spend this time week after week. We're just so blessed to be able to take extra time to discuss God's word with each other in a way that is hopefully edifying to you, listener, in a way that's encouraging and, and teaching, perhaps, and challenging. And we love this. We love mm-hmm. this time that we get to spend every week. And we're not going to change it, as of right now, at least. So no. today we are talking about the sermon that you just preached on Sunday, which came from uh, the book of First John, the series we've been slowly working through. Josiah, as per the norm, can you maybe just remind us, what was the passage specifically? What was it about? What were some of the key points we talked about on Sunday? So we were in chapter 3. Uh, the first nine verses of chapter three. And this is part of a section. It's really the first third of a three-part section in which John is talking about things that hinder us from walking in God's love, from enjoying God's love as believers. And this first section was sin. And it's not a surprise to believers that when we sin, it stops us from walking in God's love. And so those nine verses, that's what we tackled. And It's a difficult text. In fact, these three sections that are joined together under this heading are all fairly difficult. And so I tried to simplify it as much as possible at the beginning, just saying this passage is really about a call to avoid sin. And how do we do that? By looking to Christ. That's really what it's about. Avoid sin, Christian, uh, by looking to Christ, not looking to ourselves. And why should we avoid sin? Because when we avoid sin, then we get to walk in God's love, we get to abide in Christ and all those blessings that come with it. And so in a nutshell, that's what the passage is talking about. So this is what you need to do, and this is how you do it. Yeah. And the kind of even starts by, or you started at the very least, by explaining and convincing us sort of why this is the case. So why we must avoid sin, as if we need an explanation, yeah. and yet, as you pointed out, sometimes we feel like we do. Well, I mean, John thought his audience did, I guess, exactly. and sprinkled through this short text, he gives some... I don't think what I highlighted was exhaustive, but there are some real serious consequences to sin that culminate in one major consequence. So I highlighted that, and more specifically, John highlighted that sin is lawlessness. It's anti-law. Do we think that when we sin, we're actually rebelling against the law, the natural law of how God governs this universe? And that's what sin is. It tears down what is structured. Our God is a God of order, and sin comes in and wreaks chaos and disorder. And when we participate in sin, we're participating in lawlessness. And so that's I mean, left to itself, that's one reason to avoid sin in our lives. We want structure and uh, not calamity. So that's it's one interesting, even in like our society, many of us would look at the the laws that govern, let's say, Ontario or Canada and say, oh, I know like breaking the law is sin, but how often do we view it the other way that, oh, and when I sin, I'm also breaking God's law. Yeah. You know, how, how, many, how many of us would never break certain governing laws of our country but go against God's rule all the time. Yeah, for sure. And there are countless examples of people or groups who have labored for lawlessness or anarchy or revolt or whatever the case may be, but when they eventually get it or it comes to pass, there's a lot of regret. Maybe not the people at the top who caused the revolt, but there are casualties in lawlessness. And when we participate in sin, the lawlessness casualties are all around us, including ourselves at times. And certainly our walk with the Lord is a casualty of that lawlessness. Mm -hmm. 
Then we go on and it was anti-truth as well. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. You know, there is a deceptive element to sin. It is all about undermining truth. God is truth. The Spirit is truth. Uh, the Son is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And yet... I am the way, the truth. Yeah, the truth <laughs> and the life. But the father of lies the author of sin, is anti-truth. And so when we partner with him, we're partnering against who God is. Truth liberates. Sin promises liberation, but it actually Enslaves. brings bondage. Yeah. yeah. And so it's anti-truth. So anti-law, anti-truth, two reasons. Let's avoid sin. Well, and even that, like, I think that's such an important distinction there that when we talk about being anti-truth, it's not even just like true versus false, but anti the idea of truth. Mm-hmm. That has been one of the biggest deceptions of the last what, how many decades, is that yeah. there is no such thing as yeah. objective truth. That in and of itself is anti-truth. Sin is what propagates yes. that idea that there is no right and wrong. There is no good and evil. There is no yeah. true and false. And I think we all know that deception harms. It confuses. It tears down. But so do half-truths. So do partial truths. So does exaggeration. So does all of those things are less than ideal. They tear down. They destroy. And God is the only pure truth. And there is, like you're saying, an objective truth. He is truth. He defines reality and truth. The more we move away from him, the more we suffer. And sin Mm. takes us away from him. Third, sin is anti-goodness. God created the world. It's good. It's very good. Sin comes in and tears that down. And so when we participate in sin, we are actually anti-good. Most people, believers, unbelievers, everyone would say, goodness is a good thing. (laughs) We want goodness in this world. The problem is we don't get to define what good is, Mm -hmm. and sin is against all of that. And Mm -hmm. so when we participate in sin, we are anti a whole lot of things that God is for. He is good, sin is against him. And so ultimately, I I think that the whole passage, it it sprinkles those antis in, but really it culminates, and those lead to this big one. And this is really at the center of John's whole epistle, this idea that sin is anti-abiding. John is calling for believers to abide in Christ. Like Jesus talked about in the upper room in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. Abide in me. I will abide in you. Uh, you will produce much fruit. That's what I want for you, my disciples, he's talking to. Abide in me. He's not no longer calling them to believe in him for everlasting life. He's calling them to draw near to him. And the epistle of John is really, as I've said before, an exposition of the upper room discourse in John 13 through 16. He's calling for us to abide. And he says, if you want to abide, you cannot sin. Those two things are antithetical to each other. Mm -hmm. They're opposite. You can't turn right and left at the same time. It's either you abide or you sin. And really that makes sense. If sin is anti-law, anti-truth, anti-goodness, and God is those things, then how can I walk opposed to him and walk with him? doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It truly is the opposite of everything that Christ is, everything that Christ stood for, stands for. And it's kind of that question of how can we claim the name of Christian and then walk in a way that is opposed to who Christ is and how Christ lived. It's, as you said on Sunday, you can't go right and left at the same time because that doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And you can't do both of these things. Now, I would clarify there. I'd say, how can we claim to abide in Christ and walk opposed to him? Yes. Because I I can claim to be a Christian and sin. Uh, I do. Of course. Right now. I am right now in this moment. (laughs) I am claiming to be a follower of Christ, and yet I sinned this morning and will this afternoon. Sure. Uh, But it is hard for me to impossible for me to say i am abiding with christ right now while i am walking in jealousy while i am walking in envy yeah. or whatever the case clarifying here we're not talking about justification not talking about our salvation our state before the lord but that's that intimacy of relationship yeah. and really i think what i was more trying to get at is the hypocrisy of calling ourselves a christian and then walking in sin is one that can maybe at least catch our attention of 
wow, I'm, I'm using this and calling myself by this name. Am I actually living the way a Christian ought to live? Am I abiding? I think it could be one of those like kind of warning signs for us to be looking out for. Yeah. And at the same time, the fact that I am alerted to my sin alerts me to the fact that I do belong to Christ. Mm-hmm. So wow. the fact yeah. that I am aware of my sin and for those who are maturing in Christ, they become hyper aware of sin. Mm-hmm. That's one of the marks of maturity is that the things that I do that displease the Lord, they bother me increasingly in an increasing fashion. So that actually alerts me to the fact that I do belong to Christ. But we also know that, and John has talked about this, I'm writing these things that you do not sin, but when you sin, mm-hmm. we have an advocate with the Father. And so uh, a believer runs to the Lord for shelter and cleansing. It's, it's a tricky thing. And I think I said this on Sunday. This is a difficult topic when we start thinking about the Christian and their sin, because we are both redeemed and rebels. We are both sinner and saint all at once. Mm-hmm. It can be a, a daunting reality to try to get through our head and even more daunting to live out, I think, at times. And yet I think so much of it starts back exactly where you did, which was even just with that acknowledgement of how serious it is. You use the mm-hmm. example of empty calories versus cancer. How do we view our sin? Maybe we view some of them more cancerous than others, but I think, I'm sure there's a lot that we view as, eh, if I this happens to come in, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that needs to be the starting point. Is There's no way that we can seek to remove ourselves from that sin or to, to abide more in Christ if we don't think that what we're doing is yeah. as wrong as he says it is. Yeah. I, I spent a little time last week reading old... Um, Puritan prayers and the Puritans were they're a handful like they really took sin seriously and, and we could learn from that I think I also read a lot of old hymns and there seems to be a lot of sin language there and as I was reading those last week I, it struck me how many churches and Christians would be uncomfortable with the language that they use the extreme language yeah so here's an example of one Puritan prayer it says eternal father thou art good beyond all thought okay we're okay there I, I agree with that but I am vile wretched miserable blind I bring my soul to thee, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it, unmask to me sin's deformity, that I may hate it, abhor it, flee from it. That's heavy language. And I think a lot of churches and Christians today, because we treat sin like you just reminded us of, more like empty calories, something to enjoy in moderation, that's not that big of a deal. Language like that prayer is is foreign to us. I would never mm-hmm. call my, or um, what's the amazing grace, how sweet this on a saved uh, wretch like me. That's, that's offensive language to our, our modern sensibilities. And so I think you're right that we need to start by saying, okay, hang on a second. Sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. To God. It's a big deal to the unbeliever, certainly, but it's actually a big deal to Christians as well because it keeps me from abiding in Christ and being used by him mightily. Uh, we need to deal with it. And so, again, going back to the text, now that I've wandered a long way from it, avoid sin, John says. Avoid it. Run from it. Kill it. And we do so by looking to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about the that kind of illustration, which I don't th- think you use this weekend, but I've heard in the past where it's like, you know, you get a little bit of like sauce on your face, a little ketchup, a little mustard. Like it doesn't matter if it's a tiny little bit or a lot. You want to get it off immediately because it's noticeable and it's embarrassing and you can sometimes taste it or smell it or you just know that it's on there. I imagine we treated our sin the same way. Like, oh, it's just a little lie. But well, imagine it's it's marking you now. Imagine you were embarrassed by it. Imagine you were uncomfortable by it. You were, you know, you, you can sense it. You just know that it's hanging there. It needs to be wiped well away. Now, thankfully, Christ has wiped it away. But imagine we treated confession to the Lord and, and keeping that short account the same way we do getting sauce on our face, right? Mm-hmm. And yet it seems so often that we wait until it's built up, built up, and now it's like, oh man, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. And now I need to confess it because yeah. I did something real bad and that makes me uncomfortable or I did something that I don't want anyone to find out about or I don't, you know, but there's other ones that we just like, you know, it's just such a 
irrelevant thing to us at times. And it's just so not that way in scripture. Yeah, for sure. If you heard of someone who showers once a month, you'd be offended. You'd be a little, you'd be odd, right? And yet if you found out of a Christian that only confessed to the Lord once a month or spent time in confession and cleansing themselves that way, it's not as shocking mm-hmm. to us. And it should be just as. Or someone that never washes their hands coming out of the restroom. You'd be like, come on, man, that's, that's, that's common knowledge. You should do that. I mean, for the Christian, should we not wash ourselves daily, hourly, go before the Lord just to get that cleansing because that's how filthy we are? Because hmm. it's a big deal. Sin's mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah. Now, again, this needs to be kept in context. We belong to Christ. Yes. We're free from sin. So it's He's not the a, one that does the washing for yeah, us. It's not, yeah. a, it's not a burden. I don't need to become introspective and just, no. woe is me. Look at all this. We, we lift up our wretched state because it magnifies the grace of God that we've received. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, so I think probably at this point, hopefully most people listening (laughs) agree that we need to be avoiding sin and we want to avoid sin. But obviously, as you've already alluded today, it's easier said than done. And that's why there hasn't been a sinless person since Christ himself. So how do we do it? Well, as you pointed us to on Sunday, John points us to the fact that we start by looking at Christ, filling our minds with what he accomplished with his first coming and what he will accomplish with his second. So I wonder if we could just take a few minutes to talk through those two realities again. I said to you just before we hit record, this is a hard week to come up with questions because I feel like logically things were laid out very clearly on Sunday. So I know we're kind of just rehashing, but I think these are all perennial issues that it doesn't hurt for us to just hear again and again and be reminded of. So how does Christ's first coming and keeping our eyes on that, filling our minds with that, how does that move us away from sin? Let me anchor us again in the text. Yeah, because please. That way people know I'm not just making this up. <laughs> uh, in verse 5, John says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. So he's pointing us back to the first. This is why he came. And then later on in verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And then there's another couple instances when he says, this is what happened when he came. He showed his love to us. He called us children of God. He And he lists a bunch of things that, so John himself is pointing us first back to this first coming, the first appearing of the word made flesh. And when we understand all we have in Christ, that is the buffer against our sin. When we see and we were reminded of the fact that I belong to Christ. He set his love upon me. He set me apart from the world at great cost to himself. The sin was actually removed at his coming. He came to forgive sins, to deal with sin. Uh, He displayed purity when he came. He's the model, right, that we should follow in his steps. Uh, The devil was defeated, as I just read a moment ago. When I set my mind on those things and shape my view of reality, my view of myself, and my view of my own sin through those realities, that's where power comes from. Then I start living to please the one who did those things for me, who came to suffer to do those things for me, rather than just looking inside of me and examining and studying all the manifestations of sin in my life, which are just manifold. They're they're everywhere. That's an exhausting full-time job. Lift our eyes, look at what he accomplished, and run after that. That's where we find freedom. And you used an illustration on Sunday, the idea of if we don't think about this if we don't embrace this it's as if we're a pardoned prisoner choosing to remain in the cell we they've told us you're you're guilt-free you're 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 no longer accused you're no longer 
set with this crime. Your jail doors are open and we choose to stay in there. Mm-hmm. Why would you ever do that? Yeah. Well, of course you don't. And yet we do the same with our sin. We choose to stay imprisoned and, and convince ourselves, I can't get out of this. I don't have the power to break out of this. Well, you're right. You don't. But Christ does. And yeah. he already broke those chains to use a way overused yeah. cliche term. But that's the reality is yeah. we choose to remain in habitual sin or in moving from one sin to the next, use the whack-a-mole illustration, which we'll talk about a little bit later, Mm -hmm. right? We move from one to the next to the next, and and another one pops up, rather than just saying, I'm freed from it all. I don't have to live like this. Mm -hmm. If we just take an example, let's say the sin of pride, which very few listening to this would not struggle with in some iteration. So we take the sin of pride. I'm going to walk pride, thinking highly of myself, more highly of myself than I ought. And we run through this short grid that John provided us with here of things that were accomplished at even the first coming. Okay, we're shown God's love. How can I think highly of myself when the love of the Savior is set upon me? That should that should have a normalizing effect on me. It should make me think rightly about, my, about myself. He loves me so much, I don't thump my chest and say, look how great I am. You know, there's I want to see myself rightly because he loves me. Okay, he set me apart as his child. Well, what does that mean? Uh, first, I'm subservient to him as his child, yeah. right? So why would I think highly of myself? I'm set apart from the world. I don't get to define my reality. I don't get to define what's right and wrong. I've been set apart from that. Who do I think I am? See, it's a pride killer. You just run through these. My sin's removed. Even the sin of pride. Even the sin of... Some people are pretty proud that they're defeating sin. I mean, there's always a risk there. Look how sneaky the enemy is, right? Man, I'm getting some mastery over sin. I'm doing this thing. <laughs> All of a sudden, I start swaggering like a good Christian. I used to struggle with. Yeah. Right? How often has that term been used in a prideful way? And we just write, who who beat the sin again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus at his first coming. That, that kills pride as well. There's purity on display. Well, I know in my pride, there's a lack of purity there. He's the perfect example of pridelessness, of humility. The devil is defeated. You just take one sin, anything we struggle with, and you run it through that grid of all that was accomplished at his first coming. You can see how it has this sin-killing effect. Take any sin and walk it through that. What Christ accomplished is the antidote for our self-obsession and our, our rebellion against God. We look to him, not to ourselves. So anyways, lots could be said about mm-hmm. looking to Christ uh, for, for the victory over sin that he already purchased, but... And then again, we go to the the next coming, which is that he's coming back again to permanently release us. Yeah. I mean, I just love verse two of this chapter. First John chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now we are children of God right now. Done. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Isn't that a wonderful truth? We know that when he appears future, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That is our hope. This is a battle right now. It's a battle of trying to set my mind continually on things above, not on things below, on Christ, not on myself. And I fail some days. I, By God's grace, I have success other days. It's just a battle. It's exhausting. It's wearying. That will not always be so. Mm-hmm. And so not only do we look back at the victory accomplished at his first coming, but we look forward to the ultimate victory, the final victory that is sure to come one day. And there's power in both of those appearings. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Josiah, as we move towards wrapping up today, I believe you said on Sunday, and I know I've heard you say before, don't play whack-a-mole with your sin. Mm-hmm. Don't just try and deal with one issue as a time, at a time rather, as you see them pop up. But as we're talking about here, give your life over, abide in Christ. It's a it's a wholesale thing. It's not about just targeted attacks. So what practical advice would you give to someone listening who has been trying to tackle individual sins and just doesn't understand what it looks like to give it all over and abide in Christ? Well, I'd be curious to hear your input as well. Mm-hmm. 
I think a major stumbling block is that we don't admit what we're struggling with is sin. Sometimes we want to justify, we want to shave off some of the rough edges, we want to explain it away a little bit, but we need to, this is what confession is, it's agreeing with the Lord that what I've just done is egregious to him. It's an offense against him. Mm -hmm. The one who has saved me uh, against my heavenly father, against my savior, it's against him. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to bring it to the Lord, knowing that there is cleansing, knowing that there's forgiveness, but I'm going to bring it to him. Even if it's multiple times a day, I have to bring it to him and say, I agree with you. This is sin. And then I need to, the other step that this passage kind of highlighted for us is what am I doing practically every day to set my mind on things above? To set my mind on things that are contra the sin that I'm struggling with. Okay, I struggle with lust. You know, my eyes, the window to the soul, so to speak, are taking in all of these things, right? Taking in things that are causing, they're inflaming that sin. Well, why don't I set my mind, what am I doing to protect my eyes, protect my mind, and set my mind and eyes on pure things? Philippians 4 verse 8, right? On things that are good, filling my mind with things that are good. Um, we have to do that. And then there's a point where the people of God come into play as well. Like we have the spirit of God. We have the word of God. Am I taking the word of God in? It is the sword, but I also need the people of God sometimes as well. The sin becomes so entrenched in us that we need trusted brothers and sisters where we can go to and just get support. I need prayer support. I need advice. I need those types of things. We are not solo Christians. Um, that's a hard thing to do, to involve people into into sin. Uh, that's why trust is important. That's why you need to be part of a church family where you know people and you uh, feel safe doing that. But it is indispensable in fighting sin. The Lord has given us the tools we need. Mm -hmm. It is still a fight, but there are some practical steps. Guard your mind, guard your eyes, guard your heart, confess those sins to the Lord, keep short accounts, build it into your uh, daily, for sure, pattern, but maybe even multiple times a day. Maybe mm -hmm. when you sit down to eat, have a, have a, what do you call it? A, not a trigger, but like something that prompts you to think, like a mnemonic like a device reminder, in the yeah. day. Yeah. Where, okay, I'm sitting down to eat. I normally pray for my food. Uh, silently after that, before I take my first bite, every time I'm just going to say, Lord, forgive me. Here's the things that I've done in the last three hours. Forgive mm -hmm. me, knowing that it's there. Have something in place that reminds you to come before the Lord in, in confession, in repentance, seek that cleansing, and set your mind on things above. I think, generally speaking, this is anecdotal. This is just an observation. <laughs> uh, Christians are not careful with their mind and with their eyes today. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a surprise that we struggle with the sins we do at times. Mm -hmm. I think we think we're stronger than we are. Yep. We think I can take in all these things and it really doesn't have an effect on me. Yeah, it probably does. Yeah, we need to be far more uh, jealous for our mind and our eyes. I think that's a place to start. I don't know, I've rambled, yeah. but any other things no, you I think, think of? I think it's taking what you're saying, which is like calling all of the sin in our life sin too and acknowledging that the seriousness of all of it. Because I think when I think of this again, whack-a-mole illustration or like attacking one at a time, it's usually the bigger ones, the ones that are we in our minds deem more serious. And because of that, I think we sometimes use that as a justification for everything else. Well, you know, I'm going to admit now, like someone might say, I'm, I'm struggling with uh, cheating on at school and I don't want to do that anymore. And that I know that that's wrong. So in the meantime, I'm not really going to care about my lust. I'm not really going to care about my dishonesty. I'm not going to care about my, because what I'm really focusing on is I'm not going to cheat on mm -hmm. this anymore or yeah. whatever the thing is. We pick something and we focus on one at the, 
detriment of Mm -hmm. the rest. And we almost use that as a justification, you know, or something bad has happened to us. And well, I'm going through a really tough time. So it's no, no surprise that I took some time sinning this because well, someone really hurt me. So I just really need to take care of myself, have some pleasure this weekend in this way, even though I know it's not right, but Mm -hmm. it's understandable though. Right. And, and so I think it has to come back to just saying like, it is a whole process. It's giving all of ourselves to Christ and just the only way we could do that is asking for his intervention and submitting ourselves before him in confession, in prayer, in his word and coming before him and, and inviting him to, to show us what that looks like for him to take control and for us to abide in him. Anything not done in faith is sin, mm-hmm. even killing sin, Whew. which is just crazy. The enemy is so creative, right? We are to walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah. How do I fight my sin by faith? It's not by white knuckling and trying to defeat these sins by myself. That doesn't please the Lord. No. No, I am going to the Lord, and I am begging for his help. I'm trusting the promises he's made me. I'm trusting in what Christ has done and will do. I'm walking by faith. That is what pleases the Lord. That's what he wants from us. Mm-hmm. He wants us to walk by faith. And so it is a battle, uh, but there is hope. The Lord is coming. He has come, and we have all the ammunition we need. Mm-hmm. Josiah, thank you for this discussion. And for the time that we could spend today discussing this incredibly important, challenging reality that we all face as Christians, as believers in a, a very sin-stained world. So um, hopefully we can be encouraged that we all walk in this together and we're all journeying along the same direction, hopefully towards the Lord, and that it's a, a battle that we're fighting side by side with our brothers and sisters. So thank you for the time, listener, and until next week, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.